We're taking, we're taking this journey through the Gospels, and it just so happens that on week 83, I believe, Jesus is hanging on the cross, which is totally opposite of where we celebrate Christmas. So, uh, last week, it was 9 a.m., and they put Jesus on the cross, the exact same time that the Hagigah sacrifice was made during the Passover time. Jesus became the actual sacrifice for sin. And so now we've had the first few words, the first few hours of Jesus on the cross, and one of the last things that he said is he looked at his brother, his not his real brother, but his brother in Jesus, John, one of his disciples, and said, take care of my mom. This is your mom. And she said, and he said, mom, this is your son. He's going to take care of you. And Mary actually went with John. We understand that John may have been in the four writings of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he may have been the only one of the disciples that was there at the crucifixion. Which is crazy to think about, but prophecy said that they would scatter. Jesus actually said to them, when I'm arrested, you'll scatter. And they did. But we know John was actually there. So now it was 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock and we get to the next hour. Watch this as we walk through the Gospels. If you haven't been here, we've taken Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and we've put them in chronological order so I jump back and forth. Just hang with me. If you don't have your Bibles, you'll see it on the screen, but we're covering a lot of territory this morning. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 23 verse 44 it says it was now about noon and the darkness came over the whole land until three because the sunlights failed it it's noon and the lights go out you have to understand this was a a heaven sent darkness that lasted for exactly three hours. Don't forget that this was Passover week when they were actually celebrating their escape from Egypt. And remember one of the plagues that happened during, the, during that time of escape from Egypt. There was darkness for three days. Now there's darkness for three hours during the Passover time. Scientists have tried to uh, prove what happened that day. They have literally know that darkness came from 12 to 3, and it was unexplainable. Sure, scientists will come up with some great theories and things like that, but most people will understand this was from God. It was His deal. It was though the Creator caused the creation to sympathize with what was going on. 
I, I truly believe that about my God is that He can sympathize with me. I believe that Jesus came here in human form and He dealt with some of the same temptations that I deal with. The same thing was going on up in His head and therefore He can sympathize with me. My God understands. Now I jump to Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, and it says this. It says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is interpreted, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It, uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I struggle with that passage right there. Because, here, here's why. I'm telling you, I still struggle with it. Theologians believe that it was at this point that God turned His back on His Son. That Jesus became the sin of the world and that God couldn't look at His Son. And I can see that. But then again, I can see God not turning His back on His Son. I go back and forth on this. Obviously, Adam and Eve, as Keith was talking previously, uh, were in the garden. They were created perfect and they were without sin, but then they ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to and sin entered the world and they hid. But my God went and sought them out in the middle of their sin. So, the, que- the question for me is, did, did God really turn His back? There's like three hours of darkness where I truly believe Jesus became the sin for all the world, the sin for all time. There's no question about it. I don't doubt that at all, but I just struggle with the fact that my Heavenly Father left His Son for even a moment. Possibly, it's a, look, we can have this discussion forever. It doesn't say in the scripture what happened. We can imply both ways. I'm just telling you where I am. I will say this. As you sit here and look at this prayer, he says, my God, my God. But as we look at all of Jesus' other prayers, in those prayers, he actually calls him Father. Here he calls him God as in he's the judge. He's literally saying right here, I understand what I've done, that I've taken on the sin of the world and judgment has come and therefore I speak to my God who is the ultimate judge instead of my father at this time. Look, you you, you can go back and look at all the different ways that he's prayed we go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, when he's teaching them how to pray. And it's actually the Lord's Prayer. He says, therefore you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. It, he's saying, you as, you as individuals can pray and call Him Dad. You can call Him Abba. You can call Him Father. As an individual believer, He's your heavenly Father. In the Old Testament, if you go back and look, If you go back and look, the only people that could pray to the Father was the Jewish nation. 
the nation as a whole, not as individuals. But now you, you yourself, who have the Spirit of God inside of you, are able to pray individually and call Him Father. Never in the Old Testament was an individual able to call Him Father. It's crazy. But look, he continues to do it. Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 27, it says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. You can go throughout all the Gospels, Matthew 26, 39, Matthew 26, 42, Matthew 26, 44, and he keeps calling him Father, Father, but this one time he says, my God, I realize you're the judge. I realize that you're looking at me differently right now these three hours, noon to three. There's a darkness that has covered not just Golgotha, not just Calvary, but has covered the world, the whole world. Creation is moaning at this very point. It says in verse 47, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Oh, you wonder who that was. We have to guess that it was not a, a, a Jew that said this. It was probably one of the Roman soldiers that said this. Edersheim says this, You can scarcely doubt that these were the soldiers who stood by the cross. They were not necessarily Romans. On the contrary, as we have seen, these legions were generally recruited from provincials. On the other hand, no Jew would have mistaken Eli... For Elijah, not yet misinterpreted a quotation of Psalm 22.1 as a call for that prophet. And it must be remembered that the words were not whispered, but cried out with a loud voice. Edersheim, who's a church historian, has basically said right here, that was probably a Roman that said this. Probably wasn't a Jew. Now turn to John 19.28. It says, after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that Scripture might be fulfilled. After this. That's it. That's what we have. We've got 12 to 3, darkness came, Jesus took on the sin of the world, and it was over. That's it. That's all we've got. Watch. When Jesus took on the sin of the world, He spiritually died. He spiritually died, just like Adam and Eve. Just, But God was still there. God was still there in the garden. But He spiritually died. And then we get this. After this, <laughs> really? After this, the dark, three hours of darkness, he took on the sin of the world. And we believe that Jesus was spiritually resurrected. Like there was this reconnection, just like when you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, all of a sudden 
this new life enters to you. He takes out your old heart, puts in a new heart. This is exactly what happened with Jesus as he was reconnected right there. Everything was made good after this. After this. When Jesus knew that everything was now finished, the scripture might be fulfilled. Look at 1 Corinthians 5.21. It says, He made the one who did not know sin. Jesus never sinned all the time that he was here on earth. Never sinned. He had the temptation. He had the thoughts. He had all that that the evil one pounded him with in the Garden of Gethsemane in the 40 days in the desert. He had all the same things that you had, but he never, ever sinned. And it says right there, Paul says, the one who never did no sin, he came to be sin for us. He took on all our sins so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. (laughs) Let me read that again. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Holy cow. (laughs) So that we might become the righteousness of God so that we become righteous just as he's righteous no, wait 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 it's not as it's not as if jesus just sees you as righteous through him it's he's made you righteous you sit here in the muck and the chaos of all that's going on in this world right right, right now and Honestly, it is the coolest thing ever because he's made you righteous. And some of you don't even know that. (laughs) That's that's why he died. He died for my benefit and for your benefit. He gave his life so that we could have life right here, right now. And then he said, I'm thirsty. You you can really break this down. There's seven statements that Jesus said on the cross, and I'm thirsty is one of them. But you know what sin will do? Sin causes a great thirst. He's just taken on all the sin of the world, and now he's like saying, I'm thirsty. You know, he could have gone without saying that. He could have gone saying, I need a drink or anything like that, but I really truly believe he was causing us to think about what the the effect of sin does. Think about it for, for just a second. I believe the world is thirsty. The world is thirsty. And that thirst never, ever leaves. We call it a vacuum. We call it a a hole that needs to be filled, and we keep searching and we keep putting different things in it. There's a thirst, and sin will just keep making that thirst worse and worse. You think about Jesus when he actually went to the well, and there was a woman there who was obviously floundering in her sin, and she was there to get what? A drink. And he says, if you drink my water, you'll never thirst again. If you, if you come to understand, watch this, this is so important. He says to this woman, if you come to understand who you are, your true identity, 
look, in this room, if you come to understand who you are, your true identity in Christ, that you're holy, He made you righteous, that He separated you from everybody else, He forgave you of all your sin, He made you a child of God, you are a prince and princess to the throne. He loves you dearly. If you come to understand that, the things of the world become unimportant to you. All the things that are said about you, all the ways that you're measured, everything, it just all gets put aside because there's one person when you understand your identity that matters and that's it and that's God the Father. And he says you're holy because I made you holy. I made you that way. I love you dearly. I've forgiven you. You never have to thirst after the world's junk again. He says, I'm thirsty. I just took on the sin of the world. And I'm thirsty. Look at Matthew 27, 48. It says here, <clears throat> The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. Oh, wait, I totally missed that. Missed my notes. I'm reading out of uh, Luke. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Matthew Matthew 27, 48 says, Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a stick and offered him a drink. Jesus says, I'm thirsty. They stick this up there. It's nasty. He refuses it. I truly believe that when he said, I'm thirsty, he's making a point here. Now look at John 19.30. John 19.30. It says this, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It's finished. What is finished? What is finished? It's finished. I hear it all the time. The finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ tells me this. Is that Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. And he sits next to the Father right now. And he sent a Holy Spirit here on earth to take up residence inside of those who are believers. That's you in this room, I'm assuming. He says it's finished. (laughs) Keith and I were even having this uh, text thread this morning about how the church doesn't teach that it's finished, that we have to continue working and doing responsibility and building things and making the church bigger and better and doing all these things, which he says it's finished. Literally, my Savior climbed up on the cross, spread his arms and said, I've done it all for you. Relax. Breathe. Chill out. I'm even going to send somebody to live this life for you. Hello. I, I, if you just trust me and you rest in me, 
I'll do amazing things in your life. I'll put you on an adventure that you have never, ever even thought about. I'll show you great things. I'll do great things through you. Just relax. Quit trying. Just stop. Let me teach you what it means to live your life through another source. And to this day, I still struggle with that. I still want to... I still have to... It's finished. He just simply said, it's finished. Look at Luke 23, 46. It says, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. I ask you this question. We obviously say, did the Jews kill Jesus? Did the Romans kill Jesus? I think based upon this verse right here, nobody took his life. He willingly gave up his life. And he did that so that he could fulfill prophecy of what he said back in John chapter ten eighteen. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. Jesus literally gave up his life so that we may have life. Look at John nineteen thirty. He said, then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He's the one that gave it up. He gave it up. No one took it from him. He voluntarily came and gave up his life. And then, of course, the question is asked, uh, where did he go once his body was placed in the tomb? I referred to this uh, last week very quickly. Is There's a place called Sheol in Hebrew and Hades in the Greek, and it is the underworld. It's the underworld. Jesus actually went to the underworld when he was crucified on the cross. Look at 1 Peter three eighteen through 19 It says, For Christ also suffered for the sins once for all. The sins once for all. He's not getting back up on the cross again. The righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. You see, Jesus went down to Sheol, Hades, and he basically made this proclamation, I'm him. I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. There was a paradise side, Abraham's bosom, referred to in Luke chapter 16. And then there's the hell side for those that were believers. It's a waiting place for those that were not believers in Jesus Christ. And he basically came down and he made this proclamation that I'm the one. 
I'm the one that you've been waiting for, and some of you totally missed it. For those of you that know me and believe in me, I'm the one. I'm here to save you. And so, we have to ask this question today as we close, is what did the cross do for us? What did the cross do for us? Here's how I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to ask that we participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. And that we, Ron, if you guys want to come back up here, uh, and then I need some, some people that will go back here and uh, back to the bar <laughs> and get some of these elements and help us distribute them. I want you guys to, to have a piece of bread. And I want you to have a cup of juice representing the wine. And then I'm going to come up here and I'm going to explain to you what the cross did for us. So if you, I can use several people back there to go and help. So if some of y'all would go back there and help distribute and get this out. Ron's going to sing a song. We're going to get it out. Sit right where you are. And we'll come right back here.